Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Jew and Gentile podcast. I'm your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, Steve Herzig. Hello, Steve. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good. The sage, sage status. You bring it all, my friend. Ay, 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 ay. Uh, Well, listen, we've got a great show lined up for you on the Jew and Gentile podcast. We're going to continue our study on the temple, Steve. Very exciting. And we're going to continue looking at the news of what's going on with Israel and the Jewish people. And then we're also going to be looking at our Yiddish word of the day. Before we do any of that, Chris. Here we go. Hold on. All right. Go ahead. I hear somebody is going to be teaching prophecy in Israel. That's right. I, I have got a class coming up tomorrow night. Your Is, first one. My first class, Israel and Prophecy, which I'm very excited about. You've been on every single person's, uh, oh, consult on a consultant basis to put various classes together. You've been behind the scenes, but tomorrow, because we're recording this on a Wednesday, Tomorrow's your first shot. Are you excited? I am extremely excited. We have a great group. I think we have about just shy of 600 people signed up with a, you know, and registration is still open. If you want to register for Israel in Prophecy, you can go to foiequip.org. You know, Steve, I'm actually really excited about the class because uh, we're tomorrow we're going to be looking at how one promise that God made to Abraham really set the 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 uh, trajectory for why Israel exists and why Israel still plays a role in prophecy today. And so that's going to be our very first class, which I'm, I'm pretty I, stoked can about. Can I make a guess? Can I make Go a ahead. Guess? Go right ahead. Genesis 12? Genesis 12 and the real, the, that's the promise which moves to the covenant in Genesis 15. 15. Hey, You've been doing this for a I, while. Hey, Genesis, <laughs> I, I'm two for two. I don't usually, uh, I don't usually get these things right so i'm pretty I'm, happy I'm, I'm pretty stoked about the class we've got i i believe a great class lined up and um but steve we're actually going to be traveling you and i are traveling this weekend we are you you are headed to california mm-hmm. and i'm headed to oklahoma where the <laughs> what's the line where the wind comes sweeping down the plane and, and it does and the waving <laughs> we oh i don't think i don't know if you're allowed to even do that you can what because of copyright yeah, reasons right. that's right no, maybe but I, they might not even recognize <laughs> the song the tone the tone is <laughs> they off. would know they would know that i'm completely off well you know uh you and i we traveled together we're I, just so our listeners know we're going and we're going to be speaking at two separate prophecy up close conferences that the friends of Israel holds their regional prophecy conferences um, I'll be in Redding California Steve will be outside of Oklahoma City El Reno El Reno great people great folks there we love going Steve uh, and and myself we both did a PUC um, a couple uh, two years ago or right three be- years ago right before covid yeah and, and we went to El Reno and we got stuck. Which we, is I did we get stuck? We got stuck in Dallas Fort Worth for almost a day. I feel yeah, like yeah, we got routed through Cleveland, Ohio, my old stomping grounds. We uh, we we were all night at the airport. I think that was at Dallas, right? Wasn't yep. it? all night there till we got Cleveland. Then we got Cleveland and had to wait. So we sampled foods from different cities. I forgot that we landed in Cleveland because we were supposed to just go DFW to um, to Philadelphia, but they just no, had to route us no, a thousand different right. directions. It was crazy. It was well, crazy. Uh, so uh, the PUC this year, we're, um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to be with Jim Showers, our executive director in Reading. You're with uh, one of our church ministries representatives. Paul Scharf. Paul yep. Scharf. And we're actually do, both doing the same conferences at the same time, just different parts of the country. And we're talking about Eden to Eden. I love that title, Eden to Eden. And I'm I'm doing message number one and three. Message number one has to do with the Garden of Eden and what I regard as one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It gives you bad news. Uh, sin, Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God and it brought surus. That's one of our Yiddish words. Mm-hmm. You got to go back into the uh, archives of to the Jew and Gentile word. podcast. I think that's early on, Surus. Yeah. Trouble. Sir, because trouble comes early on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very early. So, yeah, that's what one of the chapters. And the other is uh, the third message I'm doing. I actually forget what that one's called, but I. Um, it all has to do with tracing from the Garden of Eden to when God reconstitutes. Uh, a new heaven and a new earth fixes everything that man messed messed up. That's great. Yeah, Eden to Eden. Uh, it's bookmarks uh, or bookends of the Bible that uh, you know it starts with God's presence with His people. 
his creation. Um, he's with his creation with no sin standing in between him and, and his creation. And uh, what a time up. that will be. Yeah. And you know what? Actually, our, our conversation on the te- temple, which will continue here, has to do with that as well. You know, we'll, I'll, we'll see if we can dovetail that in here in a moment. But um, uh, I'm looking forward to traveling this uh, weekend. And um, and I know you're going to have a great time in, in El Reno with our friends down there. Please tell them I said hello. I will Eddie, do that. Eddie, Eddie. I hope Eddie. Eddie. I hope Eddie's listening to the podcast. He loves to build Eddie in El Reno. He's connected to everybody in El Reno, and he drives around that refurbished uh, hot rod car that he's got. He's just, I love him. He's a he, classic. Great guy and great church. The folks there love Israel and the Jewish people and uh, we're looking forward to our time there. So we're traveling this weekend, but um, uh, just a fresh reminder, uh, my class, the Israel and Prophecy, again, it starts tomorrow night. Um, that is May 12th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can go to foiequip.org if you haven't already registered. Aren't you glad we, every time you do, I know we've had our web uh, site there. We have that page, that web page. We didn't have it for a long time, and now all we have to do is direct them to foi.org, foiequip.org. See, I almost forgot. And when we do that, all kinds of stuff is on there, really helpful stuff. Yep, our FOI Equip websites where you can register for future classes, watch past classes, um, and keep up with what we're doing with our FOI Equip ministry. We really want to equip you to teach, uh, to learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Um, but then I'm excited because in June— um, we have Larna Simcox's class coming up, The Search. Uh, it's really a, an opportunity to learn how to share your faith. It, she's going to share about, as a Jewish believer, how she came to faith in the Lord Jesus. But then she's also going to share, you know, um, give give ways for us to train and to get experience in sharing our faith uh, with everybody, really. So with, it's with a great— everybody. Yep. You know, I just was on the phone with somebody who was unfamiliar with uh, Equip, and but— familiar with FOI, and when I shared with her that there is a whole web page of back classes and classes to look forward to, she said, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, even though I have a young voice, I'm older. But when she said awesome, I thought I was talking to a teenager. <laughs> hey, I've even had uh, you know teenagers and 20-year-olds tell me this is awesome. So we have a lot of, we just want to supply resources for you to engage with the Bible. And that's uh, the search. Larna's class um, is going to actually start on June 16th. That's again, Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. And you can register at FOI Equip. Dot org. So, Steve, let me dovetail here. We were talking earlier about our Eden to Eden prophecy that, um, conferences that we're doing, um, and the fact that God was with his people uh, in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning of the Bible, and really the Garden of Eden is almost like a, ta- a temple itself. It was a place where God's people were dwelling with, uh, with, with uh, where God was dwelling with his people, with his creation. He walked with them. He walked with them. It was almost like its own sanctuary. There was no sin separating Adam, Eve, yep. his creation, and and God. Um, and then, of course, the fall. And, you know, there's a lot of even, when, when we talk about the temple, last week we talked about how the temple fell, but when the temple was constructed and the tabernacle was constructed, there are these unique connections to the Garden of Eden in the symbolism of the temple. You know, when when you see the Holy of Holies, there's the curtain that's up. And there's cherubims that are that are um, that are woven into the curtain as imagery of guarding what, the Guard, guarding. That's right, guarding the presence of God. That's right. And the same thing happens in the Garden of Eden when God banishes Adam and Eve. He is, he puts the cherubim there to guard them from coming into His presence. That's right. That's right. The 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 um. There are some scholars I read that say that the menorah in the in the temple the tabernacle um were was designed to look like the tree of life it has budded it had fruits that were budding from it i had not it. heard that before that sounds like a jewish uh old rabbi kind of teaching that's, yeah that's significant because it has actual fruits that are growing off of it so there's the tree you know there's an image of the tree of life and the tree of life is is giving light um, and so there's that imagery. The table of showbread is the fact that God, in the, even in the Garden of Eden, provided all of this, uh, all of this um, uh, uh, provision of food. You know, we always talk about the one tree they couldn't eat, but at the, the other ninety nine point nine percent they could eat from. That's right, and they weren't eating meat at that point in time. That's they, right. They ate meat later. So the, you think of the showbread 
as wheat and food and a provision that God gave, I, it's it's pretty amazing. So the, the, the temple, the tabernacle, almost has this image of the Garden of Eden, and it's almost a mobile, you know, for the tabernacle, a mobile place of God's sanctuary. You see that in the in Eden. But then you also, we're, we're going to get to this later on in our study here as we're talking about the dwelling place of God, uh, the, the study on the temple or the tabernacle, that later on, we at the end of the Bible, we get to this place where God's presence comes back again. It's Eden again. Yeah, even you know, even after the fall, I know we mentioned this last week when Moses writes Psalm ninety. He said, "God, you are our dwelling place." I find that interesting. We talk about Eden; that was a perfect place, innocent place, no sin. God dwelled with them. Moses went through all kinds of personal service. Mm-hmm. His people—I can't imagine leading six hundred thousand Jewish men yeah. <laughs> with their wives and their kids. And we just get, you know, the the Bible doesn't have enough space for all the complaints. Exodus, the book of Exodus probably is not, not probably, it isn't enough. The the complaining that went on, (laughs) I can only imagine. We're going to, we're going to be talking about, uh, I think you're even going to play a clip of a person who was pretty upset, a Jewish man, and I agreed with him, by the way. But we're good. If you listen to that video, uh, that um, audio that you're going to play, he does a masterful job of complaining. I think that's all the DNA of years past with all the complaining we do. Cyrus, <laughs> and yet Moses said, "God's our. He's always our dwelling place, our protector, our yeah. home. He's." You have to be reminded of that. Yeah, and um, and so we're in the middle of this study, kind of. We've we've looked at the the tabernacle. We actually looked at God's presence coming down in the temple, um, and that word shikan, that Hebrew word, appears. We saw when the temple uh, that was the tabernacle. I'm sorry, the temple when that was constructed by Solomon. That same presence that came down in Exodus 40 came down in First Kings chapter eight, and the exact same word is used, Steve, shikan, that God's dwelling came. Da- he dwelled with his people in the temple. But then last week, Steve, we talked about the fact that God's presence it 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 left the temple because of Israel's sin. We looked at Ezekiel 9 and 10, and it talks about the direction that the presence, the glory of God left. Uh, And, you know, when you read in 1 Samuel 4, you read about a a baby born, uh, and they named him Ichabod. Mm -hmm. Ichabod, the glory has departed, or no glory at all. And associating that baby whose... his father died, his mother was dying, and uh, the temple, there was trouble for Eli's uh, kids and uh, now for his grandchild. Uh, Ichabod, the glory departs, that's exactly what we we talked about last week in Ezekiel. And, you know, I've been doing um, my morning reading uh, in the scriptures in Ezekiel, which is, it's not the not the greatest book to encourage your day with, you know, it gets started with, but you know, you see over and over again how, you know, Israel's sin that led to their, that to the fact that God's glory would leave the temple, that they had, over and over again, I noticed this, Ezekiel uses the words, uh, you desecrated my Sabbath and my sanctuary. And so, you know, God, they were essentially breaking the law. They mistreated one another they abused the rich and the powerful, abused the poor and the weak. They didn't follow the laws according to what Ezekiel was saying. They were they were chasing after idols, and for that reason, God leaves. You know, it, it almost sounds, not in a Jewish context, but in a more secular context, you could say that's what's happening in North America, maybe around the world, yeah. that the rich— persecuting the poor, that people aren't following the rules. They're taking things in their own hands. Not quite like judges. Everyone did what was right in his, you know, in his own eyes. But Chris, it does sound like very similar kinds of things. The Jewish people in the context of following the law and God and, and being obedient and our culture today being at the very base disobedient. Yeah. And God, you know, we, we could get into this. This is all prophetic. Uh, you know, this is a whole other conversation too, but you know, when, when Paul starts ministering, um, and going around to different Gentile nations and into, 
different areas of the world and sharing about the fact that Jesus is coming. You know, oftentimes it was predicated with the message of good news. The Messiah has come. He's provided forgiveness of sins because he's coming back again and he's going to bring judgment for the ways that not only the Jewish people, but the whole world has fallen into this, the trap of sin. And it said, God gave them over to their depravity. He gave them over to their lust of their flesh. And so there's that not only the judgment for Israel in the Old Testament, but there's also that judgment for the nations on how, you know, they were, that they abused one another and broke God's general laws as well, you know, with with, with one another. Yeah, I'm sure uh, during the three weeks you're going to be doing Israel and prophecy, the key, of course, according to Ezekiel, Israel, Jerusalem is the center of the earth. It's all going to revolve around Jerusalem. There is in the midst of bad news, that good news, that hope. Yes. Because as bad as things are getting, and again, it goes back to the garden, Genesis 3.15, there's the seed of the woman that's going to solve what man messed up. And as we think of our culture today, it needs fixing, but man can't fix it. Not It's really own, right? only the seed of the woman that God promised in the progression of things uh, it's kind of exciting, and I I'm, now I'm excited about your class. Well, do you need to be? Are you going to be there? That's the I, question. I'm going to be there now. I don't know. <laughs> I have to ask my wife what we're doing on Thursday night, but I be, I got to be there. I'm going to call you out, Steve. I'm going to find out if you're there. Uh, oh man, don't do that. Well, the glory, this, <laughs> Steve. Hello. You know, there's hundreds of people. I'll that be there. That's right. I'll be there. Now you'll be there. Yep. Uh, there's there are you know God's glory his presence in ezekiel 8 through 11 leaves the temple the temple um the temple is empty that's the point too steve is that when the when the temple is destroyed by the babylonians in 586 it's not as if god's in the temple and he's saying that's it i'm going down with this thing no he's he leaves he departs the temple before it, it it it's destroyed but then there's also this hope that the temple would be rebuilt and i think that's going to be part of our discussion today is that Second temple was rebuilt, you know, I, I believe roughly around 516 uh, BC or so, um, when it was finally completed, destroyed in 586 BC, rebuilt in 516 BC. But something different happens this time. The glory came down into the tabernacle, Exodus 40. The glory came down in the first Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. But this time, when that second temple was built, Steve, something was different. No glory. No glory. No glory. No no heaviness of God. No presence of God. Now, not in the sense, look, God is everywhere all the time. He's never surprised. But God had always had a visible uh, manifestation of himself uh, where the, the people knew he was there. He was residing there. Not, not in that refurbished temple. And not in the one that, which would be the same one that Herod put a big face on, it's gold, It's he made a big platform, thousands of people could be on it, they were all worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but there was no presence there. You know, there's even the, um, when Pompey, in 63 BC, when he comes into Jerusalem to take it uh, for the Romans, he does something that the Jewish people couldn't believe that he did, according to history, is that he made himself comfortable enough to walk right into the Holy of Holies. And he came out unimpressed. And the reason he would have been unimpressed is because that Holy of Holies, going all the way back to the Second Temple when it was rebuilt in 516 B.C., was empty. It was an empty room. They were worshiping God, and God wanted them to rebuild that temple. Let's not, let's not act like God was going, you know, they did it on their own volition. They rebuilt that temple, and there was a uh, an empty room there, though, and they knew that inside. And there's a void. Yes, and there's a void. I could I could actually testify to there was a void in my heart as a Jewish person born much later, uh, outside of where there's no temple, uh, but that same void, the longing for the presence of God needed to be emphasized, and I think that might be one of the reasons why God removed his presence there. You know, um, it also kind of raises the awareness for us when we're thinking about the Jewish people in the Gospels, what was it that they were anxious for? They knew in the Old Testament, or they knew in the Hebrew Bible and in their history 
that God's presence dwelt with them in the tabernacle and the temple. God's physical presence. Yahweh was with them. They knew in the second temple he wasn't with them in phys- like he knew that he was they knew he was guiding them but his presence never came back down in the second temple, which means now there's this stirring that the Jewish people know God's going to come again. You know, God is going to return. God is going to come. Now now the question is how is God going to return? We, that, that's what they were. They were waiting for that Holy of Holies to be filled with God's presence again. And I think there was a longing and, a, and an anticipation, especially among most of the Jewish people, that that the Messiah would bring a the big longing. Yes. Yeah, yep. Messiah would bring the presence of God. Messiah would be the one who would usher in the kingdom, who would destroy the enemies. And then God's presence would come down and dwell in the Holy of Holies again. They were still thinking in that structure. You know, it's interesting, as I think about it, the Jewish people, which I am one at one point in time before I came to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, I looked forward to the Messiah coming. There's a heavy emphasis amongst uh, amongst religious Jewish people, Orthodox, uh, in a looking forward to the Messiah. There's a heavy emphasis on last things mm-hmm. as they relate to his coming. In the church of Jesus Christ, at least in 21st century, there's much more emphasis on his on Jesus coming at his birth and less emphasis on his coming again. So it's the reverse of the Jewish people, they don't they don't think about when he came and there's prophecies that they should. They miss that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they emphasize all the prophecies that he's coming where the church it's the opposite. Christmas is big. Uh, even the resurrection is big. But And we're supposed to take communion until he comes. And yet, Chris, our whole, not our whole ministry, but a good percentage of our ministry is built on prophecy, on looking forward to his coming again. And we are finding what, Chris, as far as churches go and as far as teaching of prophecy in the church today, what, what could you say? It, it's not that important. It, it doesn't carry the weight that it should because, you know, even when you read through the book of Acts, and like I was saying earlier, when you think about why Paul was leaving the comforts of his life uh, as a new follower in, in Jesus and going into the Gentile world, he was announcing to the world that the Messiah had come, but he wasn't just saying all the prophecies he fulfilled and this is why you should live a good life now. He was saying you need to live a life pleasing to the Lord now as a follower of Jesus because he's coming back again. There's a resurrection coming. Everything was based on a resurrection. That's future. Uh, everything was based on his second coming, uh, that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That's prophetic. That means when the Lord returns and our bodies come popping out of the grave, those are all the things. I'm looking forward to I, I, it. Me too. And that's why, you know, when you read the New Testament, it's we often couch it more in, which I understand, um, we couch it more in, um, you know, uh, good living. How do we live as a Christian today, period? But we should be saying, how do we live as a Christian today in light of the fact that this isn't our home, that there is the second coming is coming, the rapture of the church is going to happen. How do we live our lives in relationship to the fact that God is coming back, that that there's prophecy in front of us? You know, Jonathan Edwards, uh, Puritan, uh, great theologian, his daily prayer was, Lord, stamp stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Mm. That's an interesting... What he wanted to do is say, I don't know how much time I have, and I don't want to look at things the way I would in the flesh. I want to look at things the way you want me to. Stamp eternity. This is temporary. There's a future. I want to live my life in light of that eternity. Mm -hmm. That's a great prayer. That's actually has a prophetic idea to it because we believe the imminent return of Christ can happen at any time. And if it does, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing now? He it's 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 a it's something that you have to think about and pray about every single day. You know, even today in scholarship, I've been noticing, you know, when, when you're reading about scholarship about the historical Jesus, who was, you know, there are still scholars who are trying to figure out who Jesus is, uh, whether they're evangelical Christians or secular. 
That's a big question, you know, defining who the historical Jesus was. And now they're even getting into this Paul, the study of Paul, and who was Paul? And there's been so much development over the, even the past hundred years that within uh, only the few past de- decades have scholars really been saying, you know what Jesus was? He was apocalyptic. Jesus saw you know, the future. He understood the future. The reason he went to the cross was because of the future. The reason he, uh, you know, spoke on the Mount of Olives was because he knew he was coming back again. He gave these messages of the coming kingdom, a kingdom that would be coming, a future kingdom. And then they start studying Paul. And, you know, they even today, scholars are going, man, maybe we really need to put Paul in his Jewish context. And Paul definitely sounded like he was speaking about prophecy a lot. So even today, there are shifts in the way that people are talking about, about, about Paul, about Jesus, about the apostles, and understanding how they were writing in light of the future as well. It's, it's really interesting, but we, we got to get back to the empty temple. I, the empty the, temple, that's right. There's no God's presence there. We, you know, Chris, you and I, we end up, you know, we have a friend of ours who we call the, the master of... Uh, yeah, the we, rabbit trail. Yeah, the rabbit trail. I think uh, we've got some of his DNA. <laughs> but it's been great. <laughs> we're, we're, we're giving him a run for his money. Um, so we're talking about, again, the fact that the temple was empty. But it's what's interesting, Steve, is that then Jesus appears on the scene. And I am confident that even the disciples were thinking, oh, this is the Messiah. So, you know, we got to get to Jerusalem because now God's presence is going to come back because the Messiah is going to usher it in. But see, Jesus changes the paradigm uh, for how the disciples are going to think about who he is because he's not just a mere man. That's the way most Jewish people look at the Messiah. He's a man. He's like King David. He's like King Solomon not Jesus. And actually, John fills us in on who Jesus actually is. Yeah, why don't you read that text that you have? Because I think it's powerful. In light of the background we just talked about, uh, that th- those verses are extremely powerful. So, it, you know, John doesn't give us a birth narrative of Jesus, but he gives us the behind this, under the hood, I always like to say. He gives us a picture of what's going on behind the curtain and showing us beyond just the birth of Jesus, his physical birth, but actually the divine component of who Jesus is. And in John 1.14, you've probably read this on a Christmas card before, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John did see his glory, Chris. What was... He saw his glory firsthand. What? When was that? And he wasn't alone. That's right. He saw the glory at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus unzipped. That's literally right. his glory. He he metamorphosized right in front of them. And who was there with him? Yeah, you got two other disciples, I believe. You got Peter, and who else was it? Was it James or who was the third one? I thought it was Peter, James, and John. John. Yes. Yeah. And they see that they're... The, but there's somebody, a couple people oh, with, with Jesus. Jesus. Oh, yeah, Moses and Elijah. Uh, pretty um, pretty significant and pretty amazing, and the glory of God. So when he writes John 14, he's not, he's, he's not saying prophecy. He's saying, this happened already. Yeah. I saw it. Amazing. Right in front of his face. But I also just want to read these really quick, Steve, so that people can kind of see the, the connection here. Let me make sure I have all my... My place is right on in my in the scriptures. Uh, there we go. So again, let me just read this. When the glory came down in the tabernacle, remember what it said? The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled, shakan, that word, on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Then in 1 Kings chapter 8, it says, when the priest, this is after the temple was built, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priest could not perform their service because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then Solomon said, the Lord had said that he would dwell, shakan, same word, in the dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place where you will dwell, shakan, forever. And then, remember, no temple, no glory in the second temple. And Jesus is ministering during that period when there is no glory in the temple. And then John, the the Jewish guy that he is, he knows the scriptures really well, the Hebrew scriptures. He says, the word, that's God. 
became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the same word, shakan. It's just translated into Greek, but it's the same word. He's going back to the tabernacle. He's going back to the temple, and he says, we have seen his glory, the same glory that was there at the tabernacle, the same glory at the temple of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So even John is trying to show the readers of his gospel that when Jesus came, it wasn't just the man who came. It was more than that. It was the glory of God that filled the tabernacle, that filled the temple. It was the glory that the Jewish people had been waiting to come back into the second temple right before their very eyes. And he wa- the glory of God walked with them, ministered to them for three years. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And he was there the whole time. Uh, you know, there's that song. He was there all the time. That's way uh, before your time. But um, we don't. they didn't know that. Uh, then you get to the road to Emmaus, and the, uh, the same kind of thing. He he kind of shielded them from who he was, the resurrected Christ, and he taught. Wouldn't you have loved, after, right after the resurrection, to be taught by Jesus uh, all the things from Moses throughout the Scriptures? Yep. Um, pretty amazing. And, of course, uh, when G- Jesus manifested himself with Moses and Elijah and showed that glory. They only a few people got to see it, but pretty amazing stuff. So we have the glory came down in the tabernacle, glory came down in the temple, wasn't there in the second temple after the destruction, it was rebuilt, but it comes back down again in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Which they reject that glory. They And the glory takes the exact same path, Steve. Remember in Ezekiel. Yeah, absolutely. Same path as Ezekiel. When he when he walks down the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, away from the Eastern Gate, the opposite of the way he came in for that previous week. He was there on the, at the temple preaching and teaching, and he was rejected. That's right. There's all, you, you can imagine that prophetic tension, because in Ezekiel, the glory, when it leaves, and it leaves slowly, you know, it leaves out the, tab, the temple. and Kind of hovering. It hovers, and it goes down the Kidron Valley, up to the Mount of Olives, and departs. And then you see Jesus in Matthew 21 with the, um, with the triumphal entry. Here he is coming on a donkey, and what's he doing? He's riding down the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives up into the temple, and you can feel this tension. It's a prophetic tension. And then he's rejected by his people, like you said, and... He ascends into heaven. He departs, and he departs from what mountain? Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives, the same place that the glory departed in Ezekiel chapter 11. But what does he say? The the angels come to the disciples and say, in the same way he left is the same way he'll come back. When we look forward to that second coming of the Lord Jesus, his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to walk down the Kidron Valley up to the Temple Mount. You know, we were just there a month ago. And I had the opportunity to speak from the Mount of Olives, and I said, "Oh, you see those, you see those gates? They're bricked up, and there's a oh, and there's a cemetery there. And the reason they're bricked up and there's a cemetery there is, is the enemies of Israel and and of the living God say, well, according to their tradition, it's it's unclean. He won't be able to go through the cemetery, and certainly the bricks." So I tell our people as we're looking from the Mount of Olives, I said, oh, yeah, God's in heaven right now saying, what am I going to do? I, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to, how, how is this going to happen? That's right. He's trying to figure out and, the, the puzzle. And, of course, I'm being f- funny about it. This is, this is the same person who spoke the world into existence. That's right. Do any of us think that a cemetery, <laughs> that, a, that some bricks are going to, no, and the glory, remember how powerful the imagery is concerning where the priest couldn't go in mm-hmm. when the presence of God comes, according to Revelation chapter 19, hit fire in his eyes. I think the glory will cause everybody to fall flat on their face. Amen. That's amazing. Well, listen, we're going to continue our study. Steve, I see maybe like three more episodes. The first, the, the last three I think I see us doing are, what, 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 what's the glory doing right now? You know, where is the glory right now? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, is I better there, go do some homework. Yeah, you've got a lot of studying to do. I, got I have to do my class. We have to get ready for Eden to Eden yeah. this weekend, and uh, then we've yeah, got to yeah, come yeah, back yeah, next yeah. week and do this. We're busy, Steve. We're busy. Um, but then I thought, we so we'd look at, you know, what's going on today with that glory. Um, and then I, I think we should look at, what about a third temple? 
I think that should come. Oh, amazing. Yep. Amazing. We actually have some resources here at uh, Friends of Israel that talk about that uh, uh, quite a bit. We have an expert on our board who really knows about the temple. Yeah, and so we're going to look at a third temple. What does the Bible say about a third temple? And then we'll close it all out, I think, probably with Revelation chapter 21, and we'll see what happens. Looking forward to that. Well, this has been great. I hope you're enjoying our study on the temple as Steve and I go back and forth, and we we, we, we talk about what the scriptures teach about the tabernacle temple, the Lord Jesus, how it all you know molds together. Um, but Steve, why don't we look at what's going on in the news? Yeah, uh, this is from the Jewish Jewish news, on from the UK, actually. Uh, Queen's speech includes BDS bill to stop public bodies targeting Israel. Amen and amen. The mm-hmm. Queen, uh, unable to actually uh, read and, and give the address, gives it to her son. And this is and the Queen of England. This is the Queen of England. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, uh, you're including the a link to this so people could get to see uh, Prince Charles uh, <laughs> deli- delivering. Uh, and uh, it's a yearly address. And reading the speech, the Prince of Wales confirmed the inclusion of the anti-BDS bill, uh, boycott, divestment, and sanctions as BDS. Big deal, too. Big deal. Mm -hmm. This BDS bill, which would ban boycotts and undermine uh, community cohesion. Uh, That, sorry, that undermined community cohesion. So the Queen, and uh, thereby the Prince, is saying... We need this bill. We need to make sure that uh, the UK is not in any way associated with a boycott, divestment, and sanctions. It it pulls on our own country. It's anti-Semitic, and we shouldn't do it. I was just um, doing a little reading before our podcast, and I saw this site that said famous people associated with Israel. And um, one of the people that had done some volunteer work in Israel was Boris Johnson, who's the 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 prime minister of of um of the united kingdom so this is actually the the what's going on with the prince is that at the open of the parliament at the opening of the parliament i think for the season um the queen comes and reads her agenda and this is him she couldn't make it because i think of an illness but this is her son prince what's it, who is charles. It? charles um reading you know and she wants to make sure that there there there's no bds legislation that goes through. She wants to make sure there's community cohesion there. Okay, that's great. But I'm thinking, you know, there's Prime Minister Boris Johnson who is pro-Israel in many ways. He he did volunteer work at a kibbutz. I think his sister did it over there too. But remember who he was um, uh, was in uh, – who was it that was running against him? Corbyn. Oh, yeah. Corbyn is the complete opposite of what's going on here. He wants BDS. He wanted BDS. And when we're talking about – BDS, Steve, we're talking about boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Maybe you could share just briefly what that is if people are confused about it. Boycott, divestment, and sanctions are things that, by the way, college campuses want to do this. It's to stop investing in Israel, to boycott all their goods, yep. To uh, which is a, we end up making it, people who are wise turn it into jokes. And uh, through the years uh, at the Jerusalem Post and other Jewish places, they put jokes where... Uh, a person who's a known anti-Semite's in the hospital, and he wants to, of course, he boycotts everything. Oh, yeah. But in order to get his disease better, he's got to use medications <laughs> invented by Jews. He wants to call his people, but he can't use the phone because that's, uh, in, you know, all the parts come from Israel. That's right. And so it's it's ludicrous. Most of the things that we have that make our life easier and contribute to bless us are are from the Jewish people. That's right. And so it's funny, but what UK wants to do, uh, and the, in, the ar- in the article it says, arguing the case for an anti-BDS bill, the government has now argued boycotts may legitimize and drive anti-Semitism by focusing so much on Israel. They want to make sure that that does not happen. That's right. And I think this is this is part of what you're going to be talking about tomorrow about because you're going to be in genesis chapter 12 Mm -hmm. which talks about blessing those who bless israel this is a blessing bill that is a blessing bill that's right and there's a lot of u.s legislation as well that stands up against anti-semitism or against many states have that already that's right yep yep well the second one i have chris is on the 
800 years of Church of England that are really um, uh, the laws against Jewish people that led to expulsion. You want to talk about well, that? So th- I, my, the, the joke I make is I guess it's never too late to ask for forgiveness, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many years is it? 800. 800 years. Eh, not too bad. No problem. We forgive you, you know. Um, I but, guess, But they have our back. That's <laughs> That's right. See, they they are promoting an anti PDS bill in England, and so I guess things have changed. That's right. right. Thank so, God. That's right. So, eight hundred years ago, twelve twenty two BC. Oh, twelve twenty two. Wait, twelve is it? Twelve twenty two. Yes, AD. There was a synod of Oxford, um, which actually uh, banned Jewish people from interacting with Christians. It banned them from certain uh, businesses. Um, and and I think it even made them pay certain taxes for being Jewish. They had to wear a certain uh, identifying marker, a star, uh, or something of that nature, just like in the Holocaust where they had to wear an identifying marker that they were Jewish. Um, they had to do that uh, in, in England, which ultimately led to their expulsion by 1290 A.D. from England. It, according to this, it says, a special service held at Christ Church Cathedral in Oxford was attended by Britain's chief rabbi, Ephraim Mervis, and representatives of Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, to mark the Synod of Oxford Past in 1222. Yeah. So there you go. Well, and you know what's interesting, too, is that— Can I see that really quick? There's oh, a, sure. I want to just read really quick what um, what uh, the— Let me see if I can find it here. He. Oh, here we go. Uh, Though the Church of England was formed in 1500s when Henry VIII broke away from the Pope— and it goes on and on. It says, uh, it talks about the apology. It says, Jonathan Chaffee, the Archdeacon of Oxford— told the UK's Guardian newspaper in a Sunday report that it had come time for Christians. I love this. It had come time for Christians to repent for their quote-unquote shameful actions and to quote-unquote reframe positively their relations with the Jewish community. You know, we've been doing that at Friends of Israel for a long time, Steve. That is, we, we are here as an organization after 83 years of ministry since 1938 because we believed that the way the Christians had treated in church history the Jewish people is is unbiblical. Um, it's a sin, and so we, you know, the church, I, you know, we turned away from that. And in fact, we've done a complete one eighty, and we've said, no, the Bible says, "I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you." It is a call to the church to love the Jewish people, not to persecute them. And so, you know, I'm glad that they're waking up to it today in the 21st century. But I know for us at Friends of Israel, we, Christians, we're here because Christians responded to the persecution of the Jewish people. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about 1222 and they're repenting and I'm glad they are. They they want to make sure that they make amends. They're apologizing. Now it's 2022 and we have a company, an air, an, uh, an airline <laughs> that has to apologize because, well, let me read the headline, Chris. Lufthansa apologizes after report all visibly Jewish passengers were barred from a flight. Let me let me read that again because we're we went back to 1222 where they were denied being outside. You couldn't do certain things and you know in 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 England back then when it was Easter all Jews had to stay in their house. This all kinds of different laws and now it's 2022 and Lufthansa had an announcement that they were barring Jewish passengers from being, they kicked them off a flight. They kicked them off the flight, yeah. Why don't you, don't you have a, you have a. I have some audio, audio of a Jewish guy that this was. This is masterful. So it, I think they were coming from JFK. They were going to Germany and then from Germany to Budapest. Budapest, Hungary. Yeah, Hungary. And so the Jewish. To visit a rabbi, is a, not, he wasn't alive. He's a dead rabbi, but they pay kind of homage to him. And so all these this is would be most of the passengers, not all of them, were ultra orthodox, uh, and so that that's the context. Yeah. So, so let me see if I can get this to work here. What's the rule? So, so who's allowed on the I will bring a mask the whole time. Why am I lumped in with that? I know it was one. Everybody has to pay for a couple. Of okay, so everybody has to pay. Everybody. Yeah. So there are some <laughs> Jewish people who refuse to wear a mask on the plane. Right. And so what ends up happening is the pilot, I believe, bars all Jewish people from coming back on the plane. And remember, there are 
ultra orthodox, but then this person is he's he's a Jewish person. He's not with them. He's he's, he's just trying to get the boot compliant. He's compliant. He's I have not. He's saying I have nothing to do with this. And the and the, this woman speaking is a woman who is a representative or of some sort for Lufthansa. And she says, "Well, one person messed it all up for you, pretty much." That's right. All right, Let's here we hear go. More. Everybody, everybody from that race. From from no, everybody else on the flight flight went. So why in my opinion, the non-Jewish people on the flight went? So why did Jewish people pay for other people's flights? It's because it's Jewish coming from JFK. The most oh, so of the- Jewish people coming from JFK are paying for the crimes. All the Jewish people from JFK. That's right. The crimes of Israel. Just the Jewish people on that flight. Do you want to discuss with me, or do you want to to listen to? No, I'm 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 like shocked. Beyond. He's like, oh, I'm listening. She, he, he's trying. I'm trying. Chris, I'm not even there. I didn't ever heard this audio. I, I'm trying to decipher what is the what is how is this woman trying to justify this? He's they're kicking off all of them. Yes, every you, oh you're Jewish from New York. Get off. And we're not talking about a flight to uh, Australia, a flight to Brazil, or we're we're talking about Germany. They're in Lufthansa, Lufthansa, Germany, and so it's. You know, there's always that fresh reminder of 80 years ago, 70 years ago, the Holocaust. And here they are on a German plane and a Jewish guy is being told you can't get on, even though you're abiding by all the rules because you're Jewish. I don't want to blame Germany. I want to make sure we no, don't. No, no. But the it doesn't company, help. It doesn't it, help. It, oh, the, the optics are horrible. And I'm telling you, I am with the, I don't even know who this person is. I would be pulling my hair out. Wait a minute. New York Jewish person. I'm sitting in here. And you're kicking all of us off because we're New York Jews? He's trying to process. I'm trying to process. Yeah, she goes, do you want to have a conversation? And he says, I'm not sure I want to have a conversation with you. Exactly. All right, here we go. Do you want to do this like these Jewish people were the mess? Jewish people were the mess. Now I am assuming. We're laughing, not laughing because we think it's funny. I'm honestly, I'm. I'm shocked. The article it's I'm really glad you found this audio because it's much calmer to read it uh, in a news item. But to have a man come and say, now explain this to me, I, I'm trying to figure this out. And let's talk about the fact that when you're at an airport and you get you miss a flight or your flight's delayed or what they're going from New York to Budapest. But I'm just saying on a normal day, when your flight's delayed, you're upset. Uh, you know, everybody's angry, this, that, or the other. You, you, everyone's already angry that they have to wear masks on planes or whatever, however you want to you know, couch it. This guy can't get on a plane because he's Jewish. I mean, could you imagine it's bad enough that he can't get to where he needs to go? But now he's being told, oh, it's because you're Jewish that you can't get there. Only on this flight, I should remind you, too. Yeah, yeah. and and it is good. Lift. We want to remember the headline of the article we're reading is Lufthansa apologizes. That's great. I just hope that that man, for Lufthansa's sake, is not a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they're going to they're gonna hear. They're going to be giving out tickets to uh, uh, global travel for <laughs> years to come because of this. Uh, you just, you can't believe, but... You know, it's just it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. But it 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 is a great segue to whenever you're going to call for the Yiddish. Well, word. why don't you call for it? Let's call for the Yiddish word, and let's go from Lufthansa to this contemptible, disgusting kind of thing to do. All right, and come up with our Yiddish word for the day. There we go, Steve. Go for it. Fa 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 f e h fa. How would your dad say it? <laughs> how would my dad say it? I always think that, like, last week I wanted to ask you, you know, how would your dad have said that Yiddish word? Or, like, you know, because I feel like that's, whenever your dad does, not your dad, but any dad does something, it's always comes, especially when it's with the kids and family, you know. The way I always heard fat, not, not actually from my dad, but from my mom, had to do with food. Uh, maybe my, I probably heard my dad say it, too. Like, you put something in your mouth, and how is it? <laughs> <laughs> this is awful. This is no. What is this stuff? And what that? What they did to uh, all those Jewish people by kicking them off because they're Jewish is despicable. It's that's what as I was as I would be leaving as they kicked me off. I just wave my hand and go fat. <laughs> that's it. F e h fat. 
it, Which, like you said, it's, uh, you know, when somebody, I think I read somewhere that when somebody cuts you off, you go, fat like that. Yeah. Exactly. You, you just have nothing else. Uh, okay, so, fat So, we're fe. saying, fat to the Lufthansa situation. And thank you for apologizing. And then thank you for apologizing. That's right. See, Lufthansa apologized a lot faster than the Church of England. <laughs> That is true. They could have waited 800 years. Otherwise, otherwise it would be 3,000. It would be the year 3,000. That's right. You know, Steve, you're right. We're joking about all of this. It is very serious at the same it's time. It's very serious. But I, ha- my outlet is to laugh. Well, I, it's it's this is so preposterous. It's crazy. So, you know, I was putting together. I sent you a text last night, late last night. I was putting together our FOI equip classes for... 2023 for the year and one of them on there is one that i'm hoping that you teach and maybe our audience will write in at foi equip there's a section on foi equips website that says say shalom and you can write a little something to us but i think that you should teach the jewish humor class Uh, that would jewish humor is really you you, it's you got to be smart for jewish humor you got to be smart there's a lot of jewish jokes that are they're funny because there, you go, ah. <laughs> yes. It takes you a little, at least me, a little while. But it also is connected to, you know, the fact that for, it, the idea that the Church of England would would ask for forgiveness after 800 years. Yeah, it's almost a little comedic. It, you know, it's I, hilarious. I'm not even Jewish and I'm going, what? <laughs> what? You know. Actually, the way you framed it, you could turn a great Jewish joke. You talk about Lifton. Well, at least that's the way Jewish people look at it. Yeah. They would say, this is horrible. But at least they didn't wait as long as UK. And there's a phrase <laughs> for that, right? Is anything okay? <laughs> that's right. Is anything okay? Well, listen, I, I'm I'm hoping that you teach the Jewish humor class that we're going to be doing in 2023 but that uh, i think that concludes the oh, jewish gentile podcast it. I, i'm still frustrated because of that audio tape <laughs> well we're going to calm you down somehow all right, all right, all right. it's lunchtime. hopefully that calms you down everybody thank you so much for joining us for the jew and gentile podcast fresh reminder uh jew and gentile podcast is sponsored by foi equip Go to foiequip.org right now. Get there right now. Register for my class. I need all the help I can get. foiequip.org. We're going to be doing Israel and Prophecy. You can also register for Larna's class. That'll be coming up in June on the search on how she came to faith and ways that we can learn how we can share our faith in the Lord Jesus. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check us out, foiequip.org. God bless. We'll see you next week.